theyeshiva.net. Throughout the long, glorious story of the Jewish people, there were giants, great personalities, who have left Svarim. They created an amazing Torah literature, books, manuscripts that sustained and sustain generations. There was another type of leader in Jewish history, a different type of manik, the one who may have not created Svarim books, but those leaders who knew how to create people. They molded disciples, transforming them into leaders. They changed paradigms. They infused a generation with a new hope, with a new vision. They left not books, but living souls. I remember once, one of the great from Boston, came to visit the Rebbe. I think it was the winter of 1987, the beginning of Tavshin Memches. He came with his Rebbetzin. And the Rebbe then told him that Hashem tells Moshe at the end of Parshas B'Shalach, Ksoiv Zois Zikoroin Besefer, Vesim Write this memory down in a safer, in a book. So you have it written. Why is there a need for anything else? It's written. It will be there for eternity. It will be there for generations. It's not enough. It's not enough to write down the words on parchment or on papyrus, on paper. So people can learn it and internalize it and study it, which is amazing. But there's something even more profound. Create a replica. Create a true pupil, a true disciple who will further create other children, spiritual, biological, who will become leaders. Asher osu b'charon is the way the Torah describes the first Jew and the first Jewess of Ramavinu and Sara. The Rebbe was one of those rear Manhige Israel Jewish leaders who left Svarim, created Svarim, Adein Soif. Some of us in the crowd still remember the Fabrengans that would continue for four, five, six, and times seven, eight hours, before my days, even longer. And most of the Fabrengans was an endless flow of Torah, Nigla and Nister, Halacha and Pilpul, Bavli and Yerushalmi, Rashi and Rambam, Rishonim and Acharonim, Kabbalah, Jewish philosophy, Chsidis, Avoidah, personal application. And sometimes it was one in the morning and the Rebbe still didn't make his siyam on a masechta 
The crowd was quite exhausted. He looked at the watch on the table that somebody would prepare and say, this is a time to make a siyam mesechta, but since it's late and the crowd is exhausted, we're going to speak bekitzer. <laughs> it's going to be brief. But once the Rebbe went into his siyam mesechta, whether it was Hoyrius or Erevin, whether it was Psachim or Zvachim, he got lost in the ecstasy of Torah. And an hour and a half later, you wondered, is this Bekitzer? Is this the brevity? The Rebbe created Svarim, Chidushi Torah, on every level and in every aspect of Jewish thought and Torah, a way of thinking, a way of learning, a synthesis between the revealed and the esoteric, the concrete and the metaphysical, the abstract and the practical, the spiritual and the psychological, halacha, dikduke halacha, the intricacies of Jewish law, and yet tracing it back to the existential origins of the way God's mind works, as the Tanya explains in chapter 5. That itself, is a legacy for eternity. Till today, I walk near my house and I put on the long fabrengens of the Rebbe of the 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and the early 90s. And just from one sicha, I don't know if maybe it's not appropriate to express myself this way, but just from one sicha, one can weave together I can weave, one can weave together dozens and dozens and dozens of presentations, sermons, shiurim, lectures, articles, essays, ideas, perspectives, sometimes from two minutes. A new world, a new vision, a new paradigm. In halacha or agoda, in nigla or nister, in avoida or in transcendent spiritual thought, in a sugi in gemara or a sugi in rambam. It's vivid, it's alive, it's geschmack, it's delightful, it's transform, transformative. It's like cold water, kemayim karim al nefesh ayefa, cold water on a parched soul. But the Rebbe was one of those rear manhigim who didn't only create svarim. He equally created people. Vesim ba'ozne Yehoshua. When I travel the world today, either physically or virtually through Gamzum Latoiva, one sees people. And not just people who were around in 1950 or 1960 or 1980 or 1990, but people who were born just a few years ago. He created and creates people. I still remember that Fabrengen, I think it was on the yard site of his mother, the Rebbe's mother, Vav Tishrei the 6th of Tishrei. The Rebbe asked a question in Prikayovis. There's that famous Mishnah, Chamisha Talmidim Hoyu Loyali Rabbi Yochina ben Zakkai. Rabbi Yochina ben Zakkai, the greatest sage of his day who lived through the destruction of the second Beis Hamikdash, as the Gemara describes in the fifth parak of Gitin. He met Vespasian, Aspasionis. He had five students. Hu He used to extol their virtues. And the Mishnah goes through to describe the great compliments that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai conferred upon these five students. Rabbi Eliezer ben Hurkanus, 
Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananya, Rabbi Yosi Akoyet, Rabbi Shimon ben Sanel, and Rabbi Elozo ben Aroch. And the Rebbe asked, I don't understand. There were hundreds and thousands of Tanoim, hundreds of Tanoim, hundreds of Amiroyim, before and after Rabbi Yechina ben Zakai, hundreds of sages. Nobody ever did this. We don't find any of the Tanoim Amiroyim sitting down and saying, this is going to be a compliment, a session of compliments. And he only had five students, and he decided to compliment the Moinah why did nobody do it before? Why did nobody do it after? The Rebbe's explanation was not just beautiful, but so empowering and relevant today. And he said, Rabbi Yochir ben Zakkai lived through the period of what's called Adar Hamaiver, a period of transition. Those unique and dramatic milieus in history that see the destruction of one world. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai watched the Beis Hamikdash go up in flames. He was there and he felt responsible because he was the Nasi. He was the spiritual leader of the Sanhedrin. He even negotiated with Vespasianus. With, with, with Let's do it the real way. Ten liyav And he was criticized. Rabbi Akiva may have criticized him. Another version, Rabbi Yosef criticized him. Meshav chachamem acher. Aspasyonis, Vespasian loves you. Ask for Yerushalayim. He didn't. He asked for Yavne. He asked for Reptzodik. Find a doctor. He asked for the dynasty of Reb Gamliel. He didn't ask for Yerushalayim in the base of Mikdash. At the end of his life, Brachas Chavches, he wondered if he's destined to go to Ganeidin or destined to go to Purgatory. Unbelievable story. Rabbi Yechon and I saw it happen. It's those unique individuals who see a whole world, a world that was thriving, a world that represented the epicenter of the Jewish people, decimated, destroyed, go up in flames. Are we going to be able to rebuild? This was the dilemma. This was the existential question of Yechon and I had to ask and answer. And at such a moment, the Rebbe said, you must make sure to identify potential in your students. You cannot allow a single student, a single soul, a single disciple to be squandered. The time is too critical. There is too much work to do. The Jewish world needs to be saved. You can't allow those dormant talents to remain repressed, to remain subdued, to remain stifled. You need to allow people to soar. You need to allow people to maximize their potentials, to flex their muscles, to live life to the fullest, to grant the world their full creativity, brilliance, light, wisdom, authenticity, and depth. This wasn't just a session to compliment and flatter five students. By praising them, he taught them who they are. He taught them what they can be. He made people. Edgemach mentioned, And anybody who grew up in close proximity or far proximity from the Rebbe knew. The Rebbe was a very tolerant person. But there was one thing he could not tolerate. He could not tolerate or understand when people 
did not believe in their own infinity. Reb Moshe Groner, Oliver Shalom, once told me, we were standing by 770 one night, waiting for the Rebbe to come back from the oil, and he was telling me a lot of stories. And he said in 1952, he was sitting and learning upstairs in the Zal of 770, and there was a Bacha there who was a very talented person. But he was also a Bissel, some insecurity, some fear. And he said, a note came out from the Rebbe to this boy. He refused to tell me the names. I don't know who it was. And he said, the, Re- the Rebbe wrote him a note, three words. And each word was underlined three times. It is of absolute necessity that you maximize your talents, your skills, your resources. If you want to see such people, look around. If you want to see such people, look in the mirror. And if you don't see, look again, look deeper, look better. The whole world just observed these types of people that the Rebbe created, that the Rebbe molded and crafted with his talks, with his energy, most importantly with his holiness and authenticity. My friend Rabbi Shlomo Levitansky moved from California to become the shliach together with his Rebetzin and children in Sumi, Ukraine. And when he came there years ago, he had to renew his visa again and again and again every few months. It was just annoying. Finally, he hired a lawyer and the lawyer said, apply for permanent residency. He does. And his application is denied with a note. The head of immigration wants to see you as soon as possible. If it was denied, why does he want to see me? He goes into him. And the man says, listen, I will not give you a visa. Why not? I will not accept you as a resident. Why not? He said, I'm looking at your history. You were born in California. You were raised in the West Coast. You took your wife and you moved to Sumi, Ukraine. This means one of two things. Either you're a spy or you're insane. And he says, here in Sumi, I don't need spies, and I don't need Mishugoyim. I do not need crazy people. Baruch Shepatrani, go find yourself another permanent home. <laughs> it took his wife to give birth to two children in Sumi to convince the head of immigration that he wasn't a spy. I don't know if he was convinced that he wasn't Mishuga. You'll have to discuss that with him. But he finally received permission to become a permanent resident. And I see one of the shluchim and shluchos escaping from Ukraine when the bombs started to fall near their homes. And they're saying tefillas haderich with their children. They're going on a journey that is truly a journey of sakana. Navigating, journeying through Russian troops trying to reach safety. And they say, And the Rebetzin, the Shlucha hesitates for a moment. And then she and all of her children say together, And somebody asks them, You only say, 
if you're planning to return the same day. And she says, as far as we're concerned, we're ready to return. We want to go back to continue our mission, to continue our shlichas. I watch how Rabbi Avremi and Rebetzin Wolf from Odessa took their 135 orphans who they raise every day and every night besides their own eight children, can I and her, including the orphan who was left there six months ago. A mother came with a baby old a few days, dropped off the baby in the corridor of the Chabad orphanage of Odessa and left, including the orphan whose father killed his wife and then himself. And the wolves in Odessa took in this orphan, and now Odessa is being bombed. And Rabbi Yuri Tachtel, the shliach of Berlin, invited him, his wife, their family, and the hundreds of orphans to come to a hotel in Berlin, where he's hosting them now, hundreds of orphans there, including a bris that was made just two weeks ago for two six-year-old children. And when they asked the mother, why would you make a bris in such an unstable world? She says, because I want in such a Meshuggah world, these children to have something that anchors them in eternity, which is the covenant of Avram Avinu. And as I watched, the president of Germany, Frank Walter Steinmeier, have lunch with Rabbi and Rebetzin Wolf, Rabbi and Rebetzin Tachtel, 110 or 120 orphans. They get up and they put their hands on each other's shoulders like you do in camp and they do in Ukraine. You know how you do it in camp and they start singing, Oh, say shalom. In Germany, they're yekas. They don't do these things. <laughs> but the president of Germany didn't want to be a loner. So he also put his hands on these children and they're all swaying and singing together. Oh, say shalom. And rubbing my eyes from disbelief. 80 years ago, this country that decimated a third of Klal Yisrael and here the president has his hands on the shoulders of the Rebbe's ambassador to Berlin singing Eiser Shalom Bimraimov Hu Yatser Shalom Aleinu V'alkoh Yisrael V'imru Amen These are people souls. The Rebbe didn't just leave books. He left people. He created people, women and men and children who ask not what the Jewish people can do for them, but what they can do for the Jewish people. Who ask not what God can do for them, they ask that too. But also what they can do for the Rebbeinah Shalom, who ask not what the world, what the community can do for me, but what we can do to change a world, to bring a consciousness of oneness, of Einoid Melvadoy, of goodness, of Geula, into a universe. My father's a friend of Racha. Some of you remember my father. He was a seasoned journalist and a very interesting and colorful personality. And he told me that once he was by the Rebbe and he asked him why the Rebbe chose to get involved in a particular very controversial subject which cost the Rebbe a lot of support because people got very upset that the Rebbe got involved in this issue. My father said it has nothing to do with Lubavitch, with Chabad. And my father told me the Rebbe looked at him. And he said, the first story the Torah says about Moshe Rabbeinu. Vayigdal Moshe, vayetzeh Moshe grows up and he goes out to his brothers. And he sees an Egyptian beating a Jew. 
Vayifen koi v'choi v'yar kiyenish v'yaches hamitzri v'yit meneu b'choi. Moshe looks here. Moshe looks there. There's no man. There's nobody there. He strikes the Egyptian. He kills him. He hides him in the sand. And everybody knows the question. There were people there. The next day, somebody told Moshe exactly what he did and informed to Paroi what Moshe did. Moshe had to flee. What does it mean by Arkeinish? Many different interpretations. The Rebbe shared this one. Moshe turned here, Moshe turned there. Vayar kienish et gizen asenishtokin ein mensch. Vos vetzach uvstel in sorate venayid. He saw there's no man. Einish, there's no one person who's going to stand up and take a stand and put a stop to injustice, to the raping of souls to the abuse of spirits, to the murder of an innocent Jew whose only crime is Jewish blood flowing through his sinews. And Moshe had to answer then a question. Will I be like everybody else and say, nobody really cares. Everybody just sighs and crechts and maybe writes an $18 check. I'll just do that. Or Moshe might say, there's no ish, there's nobody. Therefore, I will be that ish. I will protect this Jew. I will stand up to this criminal. I will stand up to this form of injustice. I will not tolerate such hatred, bloodshed, violence, aggression. My father told me he was quite startled by the Rebbe's response that Rebbe should speak so openly about himself. And then in his classic vintage Lubavitcher Rebbe, he tells my father, Und das and this is what we learned from my father-in-law. Of course, it had nothing to do with him. This is what I saw by my father-in-law. When you're standing, you could say, eh, everybody goes back home to their couches. I'll do the same. The Rebbe could not tolerate or understand when ain't ish. He wanted people, people to take responsibility. People to transcend fear, insecurity, toxicity. People to transcend the need to stay stuck in the quagmire of our comfort zones so that I don't shake up anybody and I let myself and others sleep. He wanted people, people who will kindle spirits who will display leadership, who will take initiative, who will flex their spiritual muscles, and sometimes their physical muscles, who will express their divine creativity. People have often asked me, we in this room probably take for granted the celebrations of birthdays. But it's not so simple. I was once at a birthday party and there was a Jew there and he said, I really don't understand why you're making a birthday party when the only one who celebrates a birthday in Chumash is who? Paroi, very good. Let's hear it for the kids over there. Very good. The adults didn't know. Remember which Parsha? <laughs> very good. Say it good. Parsha's Mikhev. Vayhibi Yom who led this is Paroi. Never says, Vayhibi Yom who led this, Moshe, Aaron, Adam, Chava, 
Hevel, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Rivka. Paroi makes birthday parties. It's an interesting question. Yes, there's a Yerushalmi, Mazole Goiver, the Amalekim used to send to war people who had a birthday on that day. Because Mazole Goiver. That Yerushalmi became a cornerstone in the Rebbe's approach to birthdays. Rebbe Tzadik HaKoyen has a whole shmuz in Resisei Laila that the Rebbe once quoted in Lukut Yisichis from memory in the 60s. Resisei Laila, I heard from Rabbi Yael Khan once. But there may be something a little deeper. You know, at the end of davening, we say every day, Baruch Hu Eloikeinu Shebro'onu Thank you, Hashem, for creating us for his glory. And the Chsam Saif asks a fascinating question. The Gemara says in Erevin that for two and a half years, there was a major debate. Would it have been better to be created or not to be created? The halacha was like Beishamayin. It would have been much easier not to have been created. Once you were created, try to be a halba mensch. But it would have been much easier. So the Chsam Saifu says, what's the Baruch Hu Alekeinu Shebra'anu? Why are you thanking Hashem for creating us when it's really not an easy thing to have been created? Life is a complicated journey. And those of us who are HPSs, highly, not, <laughs> highly HSPs, highly sensitive people, know how even more difficult life is. And the Chsam Saifu says a beautiful word. He says, that's true. But once you finish davening, once a Jew goes through davening, once you had a real davening, ah, at the end of davening, you could say, Baruch Hu Alekeinu Shabranu. After davening, you could thank Hashem for your creation. I think the Rebbe took it one step further. And the celebration of birthdays was demonstrating that ultimate truth that the Baal Shem Tov taught and articulated as the Nefesh HaToyra. And that is, your very existence, your very existence is an infinite blessing. Yom HaLedes is the day that you celebrate your birth. You celebrate the day that the Rebbeinu Shalom decided that your contribution to the cosmos and to history is indispensable in the Rebbe's Welt am Shaul. Yes, davening transforms you, Teda transforms you, but it transforms you only because it allows you to express the innate divine glory that emanates through every single soul, regardless of who you are, where you are, regardless of what you did yesterday. Nature matai masse yodaili spoyer. Hashem looks at every neshama and he brags, he boasts. Ah, how beautiful, how amazing, how incredible. Amzu yotzartili. Some of you may remember. That Shabbos Vayikra, Tov Shenun, the very existence of the person. He didn't only make and inspire people. Ed Gemach mentioned, he wanted you to be able to look at yourself and see the truth about who you are. A conduit of Ein Saif of Hashem in this world. It was Sunday. 26 Chavav Adarishin, 26th day of Adar, one, Tavshin on Bays, March 1992. I was going to Israel that night for the wedding of a cousin. So even though I grew up there, I grew up there, so I wouldn't go often 
for dollars. But that Sunday I was traveling to Israel. I wanted to get a blessing. So I went to receive a dollar. I stood on line. This was around 6 or 6.30 p.m. The Rebbe was already standing for six or seven hours. The Rebbe was 89 at the time. He looked very, very tired. In front of me, there was a little girl. She looked like five or six. Her father was holding her in his arms. Didn't seem like she was from a Chabad family, and I don't even know from a religious family. The way he was dressed, she was dressed. The Rebbe gave her a dollar. He looked her in her eyes, this little cute angelic girl, and he said, She and her father were about to move on. Unexpectedly, she looked at Rebbe straight in the eyes and she said these words, and I was there. Lubavitch, Rebbe of Lubavitch, I love you. I have to say, some of the Gaboyim were taken aback. <laughs> they didn't exactly expect such a display of emotion. From this little girl to the Rebbe, <laughs> one of the people was rolling his eyes. I had this chus to see the Rebbe smile many times. But the smile that I saw that moment, I never saw before. The Rebbe was quelling. His face had such a luminescence and radiance. As he took a second dollar, he handed it to this little girl. He looked her in her eyes and he said these words. This is for your love. She moved on. It was my turn. His face grew very serious. <laughs> Rabbi Label Groner, Olav Shalom, told the Rebbe that I was traveling to Yisrael. That night, the Rebbe gave me one dollar, said, Bracha gave me a second dollar and said, Abgeben, Avzdokin Eretz HaKadosh, give this for charity in the Holy Land. Those were the last words I ever heard from my Rebbe, because as you know, the next day, 12, 24 hours later, on Monday, the Rebbe suffered a stroke while he was standing and praying at the oil. Those words I carry with me in my heart. This is for your love. It's how the Rebbe didn't only create Svarim, but created people. Created and creates people because with true empathy, compassion, and love, all blockages are removed, wounds are healed, and people can start believing in themselves the way you believe in them and commensurate of how much you love them. I'll never forget that Pesach. It was the first night of Pesach. I think it was 84 or 85. After Mairev, the Rebbe would go up to his room and he would later go either to his house or to the library to have a private seder with his wife, Rebbe Tzanchaya Mushka. Before he did that, the Rebbe would distribute matzah to around 10 or 15 people. Who? His secretaries, the people who worked in his home, the people who helped out his brother-in-law, the Rashag, and some people who were very connected to the Rebbe's family, the Rebbe would give matzah to Rabbi Chadikov, Rabbi Groner, Rabbi Klein, I remember, Rabbi Zalman Gerari, Shalom, Rabbi Shalom Bergansburg, Beryl Yunik, Zechreinel of Rach. I don't know if you know these names, but these were people who worked in the Rebbe's house, helped the Rebbe 
his secretaries, and just maybe another three, four, five people. One of the people who would receive matzah was my father, Allah Shalom. Everybody would receive one matzah. My father would receive two, would receive one and a piece, or just a piece. My father would receive two and a piece. The Rebbe would always give him a second matzah, Fadet Zeitung, for your newspaper. I still remember, I was a little kid, and he came out with the matzahs, and there was a wealthy Jew who came over to him, right by the elevator, and he said, $10,000 for the matzah. $10,000 for the matzah, which today would be like $200,000 for the matzah. You have two whole matzahs. My father was an interesting person. It's not that he didn't answer him. He didn't even look at him. If you knew my father, that's how he did things. Okay. So when I was a child, I used to go with him because, you know, it was a unique opportunity. And as a child, you know, you could... You could sneak in through uh, holes and crevices, you know, before the <laughs> the control police uh, expelled me. So I was there one year, I think it was 84, 85, and I was standing there. I went in front of my father or behind my father. It came my turn. The Rebbe had a custom that children, there were a few children there, and he would always give them a piece of a matzah. Now that was never a problem, because if you ever buy a box of matzah, even if you don't take it on a plane, how many whole matzahs are there? It's a miracle if you find a whole matzah, right? Broken matzahs, there are endless. So it was never an issue. The Rebbe would have a box by his room, and there were always broken pieces, and he would give it to the ch- to, if there was a child. It came my turn, and the Rebbe was standing, and he looked on his side by the box of matzah that was open, and I was looking there, and there was a whole matzah. So the Rebbe picked up to look under. Another whole matzah. Like two miracles. He looks for the third, fourth, fifth, sixth. And the Rebbe is standing and lifting up matzah after matzah. And he thinks for sure there's going to be a tucked under, a broken piece. No. They were all whole matzahs. I don't know how that happened. He got till the Rebbe got till the end of the whole pound of matzah. Or two pounds, whatever it was. All the way to the last one, there were no broken matzahs. Now, I'm thinking to myself, as Rebbe, you could give me a whole matzah. Nothing is going to happen. You don't tell, I won't tell. I was a little kid. You know, we'll keep it in the family. Don't worry, I won't tell anybody. I'll hide it. I'll hide it with my father's matzahs. I'll never forget this. The Rebbe took both of his holy hands. He put one hand on top of the pile another hand on the bottom of the pile, and he turned over like this. He turned over the whole pile and started to go the other direction, (laughs) looking for that broken matzah that must be there. And the Rebbe went down again the row. There was no broken matzah. He got it right the first time. There was no broken matzah. From my humble childish mind, I could see the Rebbe reflecting on what to do, and he walks away from the box of matzah into his room, it seemed to me to go look into another box and retrieve a broken matzah. As the Rebbe starts walking away, he decides to come back. He comes back, and I realized the Rebbe did not want to do this, but he did it. He took a matzah, and he broke it. He gave me the broken matzah. He looked me in the eyes, and he said, Akosherin, 
on a Freilich and Pesach. I went, my father came, he gave him a whole matzah, he gave him a second whole matzah, and he gave him the other broken piece of the matzah. And I wondered, why did the Rebbe care so much to give me a whole matzah? I was a cotton, I was before Bar Mitzvah. Okay. The Rebbe didn't want to break the matzah. I saw he didn't want to. He did. But that was important because he did not want to give me a whole matzah. I don't know the answer for that, friends. I never shared this story before, but I reflect on it often. Was it perhaps to teach me a personal lesson? That in life, you always have to remember you're a machzis hashekel. You're a half a shekel. Never think you are a self-contained whole shekel. Was it perhaps his profound and subtle way of blessing me to find one day my second half, my amazing wife? <laughs> May she be well. <laughs> or was it perhaps something else? Was it maybe the Rebbe's subtle message, sharing something that I think he taught all his life, but it's hard for us to really internalize. Don't be afraid of brokenness. Don't be afraid of yachats. Don't be intimidated when you see brokenness in people, when you see brokenness in a world. Don't be afraid of shvira. Don't be afraid of your own brokenness. Don't be afraid of your own wounds. Don't be afraid of your own unresolved anxiety attention. You know why? Because in the yachats you will find tzafun. Tzafun means hidden. Your deepest light. Your deepest light of geula. Your own little Mashiach is always found in your broken pieces, in your broken matzah. Is that not how the Rebbe explained why the Gemara in Sanhedrin Sadiq Ches calls Mashiach a Mitzayra, a leper. Because the light of redemption, the deepest potential of people is always found in those unresolved places, in those layers of tension and difficulty. If you only have the courage not to be intimidated, not to run away, not to judge, not to criticize, not to be afraid. Look straight into the Mitzayra and you will find your own Mashiach. And you will allow the other broken person to find his or her own Mashiach. But for this, there's one condition. And that condition I had the privilege of hearing from the Rebbe, Shabbos HaGadol, Tovshin Memtes. 1989, it was Shabbos Yud Nissen. And I remember when the Rebbe said, Yud, ten, represents a complete structure. Ten spheroids. A minion is made, one to ten. Misper Hashalim, it's the number of completion. What's Yud Aleph? Yud Aleph Nissen, what is eleven? Eleven, he said, it says in Zoyar, Antuchad v'lovachoshbim. There are the ten emanations of God's Light. Keser, Chachma, Bina, Das, all the way to Malchus. But aren't you? You're Belabachushbun. You're beyond ten. You're beyond numbers. You're beyond structures. And he said, much of life is about ten. 
We live structured lives. We want to live structured lives. There is morning, there's afternoon, there's evening, there's day, there's night, there's Shabbos, there's Yom Tov, there's Halachas for different hours, different seasons, different times. But don't, the Rebbe said, don't get stuck in worshipping structures. Yud Aleph allows the Jew to understand that you're rooted in a space of absolute infinity. Be ready at any moment to transcend structure and open your heart to what God wants from you at this moment, even if for that I have to say goodbye to everything that seems so safe and comfortable. My ten spheres, my structure, I have to be able to embrace your Aleph. Because that's sometimes where you will find Hashem. The Rebbe was a very structured person. Halach is all about structure. And I need not tell you the diktuk of Koytzer Shalyud of the Rebbe in every halach. But the Rebbe always showed us how never to turn structure into an idol. Never to worship structure. Never to reduce God into structure. At a moment's call, with the skip of a heartbeat, the Rebbe could fluctuate from Yud to Yud Aleph and back from Yud Aleph to Yud. I'll never forget, Simchas Torah, Tavshin Memches, Hakafas finished three or four in the morning, the Rebbe danced for hours. Moshe, Moshe Grona, Label Grona told me that the Rebbe didn't dance like this since the early 1950s. Hours, hours. Shnas Tismach, Shnas Hakel, 87, 88. Hakafas finished 3.30 in the morning, 4 in the morning. The ecstasy was infinite. They finished Aleinu. The noise in 770 was one that you can't imagine. It was so noisy. Aleinu finishes, they finish Kaddish. And the Rebbe, classic vintage Rebbe, starts saying a Sicha. What better time is there to say a Sicha than 3.30 in the morning? The problem is nobody can hear. I had a place right in the front. I had the privilege of hearing that Sicha. I think me and maybe another one or two people heard that sikha. It was short, thank God. I wrote it down afterwards. What was it about? The Rebbe said, this is time to remind everybody about Shnayim Mikra Ve'echa Targum. He said, it's a busy day, Sivchas Torah. And he started to discuss how you do it. V'zoy Sabracha. And Parshas Bereshis. Till which part? And then he started to discuss the Chitas and the Chumash and the Rashi. And he finished with a beautiful blessing. And then started his father's nigim. Ay, 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 hey. And the 770 erupted in joy. And I remember the Rebbe stopped in the back of 770 and danced with the oilam in the back before he went out. And I stood there and I said, ah, this is pshat. It says in Ramach Oisius, a tzaddik is bligvul, a benini is gvul. A Rebbe is a chibur from bligvul and gvul. A tzaddik is infinite, a benini is finite. A Rebbe is not finite, but he's also not infinite. He's a channel for oneness. And oneness is never defined by finiteness. It's also not defined by infinity. It's defined by the mission of God at this moment. Only when you go into the place of Yud Aleph, only when I can transcend the fears of going out of my comfort zone, can I look into brokenness. Because it's brokenness, the Rebbe said, that triggers and challenges you to go from Yud to Yud Aleph. 
it's my brokenness or my, your child's brokenness or somebody else's brokenness who challenges you to go outside of your bubble, your spiritual bubble, and go into that space of your aleph antuchad where I become an absolute conduit for infinity and all of life becomes different because you look at brokenness and you see the light of gu'ula in every space and every person and every moment. In my mind, the Rebbe embodied that vision in Tehillim. Ani amarti eloikim atem uvnei elyoin kulchem. God said, I believe you guys are eloikim. You're one with Hashem. You're channels for atzmus ein soiv baruchu. You're channels for infinity. Bnei elyoin. You're not wretched spirits. You're not lowly, earthy, finite, frail, mortal, weak, traumatized people. Eloikim atem. The passage continues, Achen. Ka'achad ha'adam tamusun. However, you treat yourself like frail people who are destined to death. This is what happens after Matan after the Chet Hegel. But the Rebbe's vision of life was to help us restore ourselves, our people, and our world. To that primal ideal state of Aniya Marti Eloikim Atem Ubnei Elyoin Kulchem. Do you know who you are? Do you know what you are? And even that broken matzah inside of you is only an invitation and a calling to make you aware of those levels of light that are so infinite. The only way they're expressed is through broken vessels or in the Rebbe's inimitable language. Oiriz de Toyu. Bekalim de Tikkun. I find it quite incredibly moving that the whole world is focused today on that country and city where the Shnei Ma'iris Hagdoilim were born. Two people changed the Jewish world. And they were both born in Ukraine. The Balshamtev, 1698 near the Carpathian Mountains. The Rebbe, 1902, Yud Aleph Nissen Friday, Nikolai of Ukraine. The two great luminaries, the Balshamtev and the Rebbe, who changed the Jewish world, their light was born and emerged in Ukraine. And the whole world, is focused on that country, on Nikolaev and the Dnepro Petrovsk and the other cities of Ukraine. And the world is focused on the 183 Chabad Shluchim, them, their wives, their children from Ukraine and the work they did and they're doing during these incredible times. What happened? Is it maybe the Hashgacha shows us that as the Rebbe reaches 120 celebration, 120. And all the cameras are focused on that part of the world. And the shluchim there. And the Torah continues. The eyes of Moshe Rabbeinu were dimmed, And the moisture of Moshe Rabbeinu did not flee. What this means for us, perhaps, is this. 120 years later, the eyes, the vision, the perspective, the Weltanschauung that the Rebbe gave our world, 
Not only has it not dimmed, it becomes stronger, more relevant, more effective, more alive every day. The Rebbe, as a channel for the light of Torah, the light of Hashem in this world, that vision to lift up a world, to embrace all the broken matzahs of yachats, and turn them into a tzofun, into an afikoyman, into a gula. That vision has not dimmed at all. But that's a question I have to ask myself. We have to ask ourselves. Is our lachluchius, is our moisture, our dveikus, our iskashrus, loinos leichai mayim is medabek, it cleaves, it connects. Our connection with each other, our connection with Hashem, our connection with every Jew, our connection with the, every person, with the entire world. That lachluchius, that vitality, vibrance, depth, life. At 120, I want to hold on to that lachluchius, to that moisture, to that vitality, to that incredible perspective on life that the Rebbe has given and gifted our world. A vision of Gula, a vision of looking at every part of yourself and every part of your loved ones and every person you encounter. And see in each of them, Aniya, Marti, Eloikim, Atem, Ubnei, Elyon, Kulchem. Until that great light of Tzofun emerges in its full splendor. Umala Oretz Deyes Hashem, Kamayim Layom Echasim, Le'enei Kol Yisrael. Thank you very much. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.